Hello and welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges, where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. Before I introduce my awesome guest today, I'd like to encourage you to go to bit.ly backslash fear to fire for a free gift. This three-page document of tips provides hands-on specific actions that you can take to work through your fears and achieve the results that you desire. That's bit, B-I-T dot L-Y backslash fear to fire. And if you don't already know this, I'm Heather Hansen O'Neill and I am your host today. Today's quote is by Eleanor Roosevelt. You gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. You're able to say to yourself, I lived through this horror. I can take the next thing that comes along. So now to introduce you to our guest today, Michael Jory is a retired program manager and mechanical engineer. He studied at Syracuse University and the University of Rochester. He's held various technical and management positions as Xerox, Pitney Bowes, Sikorsky, and United Illuminating. In retirement, he loves to work with high school and college students to further their interest in STEM. And he loves to travel and discover the diversity in our world. I've known Michael for some time now, and I absolutely love talking with him. I always learn something in our conversations, and I think you will today as well. Hello, Michael. How are you? I am well. How are you? Fantastic. I'm all fired up. You know that. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we're going to have some fun here today. Um, You want to start by just telling us a little bit about what you'd like to talk about? Absolutely. And I think your quote from Ms. Roosevelt is going to be very germane to our discussion today. Awesome. Very germane. So, had invented a, a pretty neat feature, and it's still part of Microsoft Word. And that's the ability to create junk mail. <laughs> so, what do I mean by that? You can take a database full of names and addresses and merge them with a form letter. It's called mail merge. And you can create a whole slew of pieces of mail that you could solicit, keep in touch with, do whatever you need to in in great form. And so there's a, a little bit of a problem. You can create all this wonderful mail but somebody has to fold it and stuff it and put it in an envelope and put postage on it. Pitney Bowes, when I was working at the time, decided we can automate that whole process. And they created a machine called DocuMatch. Now this is back in the mid nineties and it was a project that I worked on for about three years. And uh, the neat thing about it is it would write the address and extract the address from the the Word document and put it on an envelope. Now, when you get a piece of mail today, you look at a a windowed envelope and you look inside it and say, ah, junk mail. That goes right in the dumpster. Or I should say right in the recycling bin. Right. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But it used to be if you got a piece of mail that looked a bit more personalized, and that is it didn't have a window, 
It was something that uh, had your name and address printed directly on the front of the mail. We proved that uh, your openability factor improved by maybe 10, 15%, which in terms of delivering mail uh, from an advertiser is a big big deal, right? Mm -hmm. And so we set out to create a machine that would uh, do exactly that. And it turned out that um, there were a couple of niche operations that really bought into that idea. Um, certainly there were some utilities that liked the idea of keeping mail more private, but it turns out one really big one are the casinos and sending out all of their comp mail. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, we ended up doing a lot of business with the casinos, uh, and um, to a lesser extent, there were uh, auto dealers that were also interested in, in sending you information. Um, so how did we set off to do uh, just this, such a, a machine? Well, Pitney Bowes has technology that's um, considered you know, real proprietary and being able to uh, manage pieces of paper to fold it up and stuff it in envelopes. Whatever we didn't have as our in-house technology, we decided, well, we'll use use as as much off-the-shelf technology as possible. So things like a laser printer or an envelope printer or something that would, um, what we call a a sheet feeder, would stuff all that stuff into an envelope, print the envelope, and spit it out ready for postage and ready for mailing. So... It took us about three years to develop. We had about 20 engineers and we connected with our sales and service organizations to begin the rollout of this product. And my job, uh, my role in that particular development, I, I had two of the subsystems that I was managing and I saw an opportunity or I was given an opportunity to manage the whole thing once we rolled it out into the field. So I took on the responsibility of working with our sales force, with our service force, and to a large extent with our customers uh, to roll out the product and support it in the field. Okay? Yep. Okay, so everything's going wonderful. I have this great new opportunity. I, I, I feel something coming. I don't know, Michael. <laughs> A little foreshadowing here. Go ahead. <laughs> well, things were going pretty nicely. And then some of the technology that we were using wasn't exactly off the shelf. Oh. So the laser printer was off the shelf. The envelope printer was off the shelf, kind of. And the sheet feeder was kind of, but not exactly. <laughs> But we were using a, an internal PC to almost create its own machine network. And this is back in the 90s, you know, before those things really started to appear. You know, you'll, you'll see cars today have uh, whole networks within cars to, um, to, to run the whole thing. And, and it's, it's pretty straightforward stuff. But it was, that was new technology back in the 90s. And it it turns out that the PC we were using had some customization in it to make that all work. Well, that customization did the worst possible thing. 
it started to fail randomly and it started to fail randomly at random times. So something really, really, really hard to figure out. So, you know, with something would fail in the field, we would send out a replacement. Well, the replacement part cost at that time about a thousand dollars. And the way it works in the field is the service organization has to pay for their parts. It comes out of their budget. So when you start sending thousand dollar parts out at it, you know, a fairly large clip, the service organization gets a little pissed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and who could blame them? Exactly. The other interesting piece of this is the sales force. When the sales force goes and sells one of these machines, they get a commission on it. That commission is dependent on that machine staying in the field. And if we can't support uh, a particular installation, that commission comes out of their paycheck. This happened to be one of the most expensive machines with the biggest commission that we had in the field at that point in time. So if you can't support your sales force, <laughs> they're going to get pretty pissed. Mm-hmm. So, you had people looking to hunt you down, didn't you? Well, I was supporting <laughs> their livelihoods. I was yeah. taking away from their livelihoods. Oh, my goodness. So... And the problem started to get worse and worse and worse. And finally, I didn't have any parts to replace in the field. So what do you do? I shut the line down. So here we are, you know, it's something that uh, we're shipping, not a large number of machines each month, but, you know, certainly the sales force was amped up and getting and selling machines and they had uh, sales that were already booked and they're waiting for the delivery of machines. Mm-hmm. I have a service force who's looking to repair all those things and the sales force is going to beat up the, the service force to make sure that their customers are happy to protect their uh, commissions. So things were going downhill pretty quickly. And when I shut the, the production line down, of course, everybody thought, oh, well, this is just going to be a couple of days and that was mm-hmm. trying to get communications out. No, this is not going to be a couple day thing. This is going to take a while to uh, get to the root cause, figure out what's wrong, get it replaced, get it tested, prove that this was really going to uh, solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And it, it took us weeks, it took us a couple of weeks to figure out even what the problem was. Um, so Wait, 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 wait. Before you move forward, how were you feeling at that moment in time? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Pretty scared. I've never really prepared for anything like this. And and what actually made it a lot worse is uh, there were 25 or so presidents and vice presidents who demanded that I start communicating with them on a daily basis. So Mm -hmm. four o'clock in the afternoon, I'd set up a conference call with all these 25 different people and I'd have to give a daily assessment of what was happening. Mm. I can feel my heart racing. I remember that, <laughs> that feeling. It stays with you, doesn't it? You can probably still feel it right now I today. I still feel it, absolutely. Oh my goodness. And, you know, the interesting thing is when you have 25 people, not even in the same room, when they're just on the phone, 
there isn't anything that you're going to say that will please all of them. You may in, please in good times. You're not going to please all of them exactly. Right. You may please one or two of them, but then you're always going to say something that makes somebody unhappy. And in this case, it was always somebody jumping on me and saying, "No, that can't be. It's not my problem. It's your problem." So the the CYA factor was running in overtime here. Oh, I bet. So that went on for, I, I would say, almost six weeks uh, until we uh, resolved the problem and got the products out in the field, uh, the replacement parts out in the field, and started filling the line again with uh, the sales organization. Mm-hmm. So I think you can imagine, after six weeks, we oh. had unhappy customers because these customers, especially the casinos, built whole product centers around this product. Mm. So we had one casino that had 10 of these machines and they were pumping out mail (laughs) almost 24-7 using these machines, right? So when they were going down, they, they had really no alternative solutions and, uh, for this particular kind of, of product. <laughs> so oh. they're screaming because they have all their people who are uh, sitting there uh, not doing anything. Mm-hmm. The mail's not getting out. Their uh, product, which is uh, date sensitive, isn't getting out. So they're losing money. The sales force is losing money because they can't get their machines and they can't get their commissions and the service force is losing money because they're spending all this time fixing the machines. Right. So how did you manage all of that? Well, <laughs> <not very> well. <laughs> <laughs> wait, were you sleeping at all? Probably not. Right. Sleep? Oh What's that? Yeah. It's a luxury at that point in time. Okay. Go ahead. You can, you can, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, I, I, I learned several things. And, um, you know, certainly one of them is, is technology readiness. And, and you see this so many times and, and companies don't always learn their lesson with it. But, you know, if you spend three years putting a product like this in development, you have millions of dollars that are involved and are tied up. And now you have to start making money back on that. So there is a point at which you say, uh, damn the torpedoes, let's get the product out there and start making money from it. Mm-hmm. And if things happen, we'll, we'll fix it in the field. And that, that's certainly something that we knew going in. We just didn't realize how bad it was. Mm. But, but you still see that. Uh, you'll see it in um, new product launches and, and just about everything out there. You know, oh, I, certain- see, I see it all the time. From, from a customer standpoint, I've experienced that. Um, Tesla is going through that in a mm-hmm. big-time way currently, right? Um, but there is a point where um, companies will decide that it's worth taking the risk and, and moving the product out. Right. Um, really having a good handle on what those risks are and, and having uh, some backups, uh, some contingencies in place is a really important part of that rollout. We didn't have it. So you learned a lot there. (laughs) The other thing I learned is in the communications, as I was doing the rollout to the 25 presidents and vice presidents and and realizing that 
I wasn't going to make all of them happy or even I wasn't going to make any of them happy once they started ganging up on, on anything that I particularly said. Mm-hmm. I realized that that method of communication wasn't going to work. And I soon figured out that I had to sit down one-on-one with these people and let them understand what my issues were, what my plans were, and it gives them a bit more confidence. So there was a core of them that I started to win over to my side. And, and once I had done that, then they were there actually to help me in getting the, the rest of them to understand that you know, these are the pains that we need to go through and, and that uh, we actually did have a plan to uh, get things moving forward. So, you know what? I, I love that. I just want to stop there for a second because I think this is something that's applicable whether it's technology related or whatever field you're in. That realization that you had and the change that you made to build individual um, communication and relationships with people to find out, you know, to, to be clear about what was going on, but also to hear them. That's huge, and it's something that everybody can learn from, and it really worked for you. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Uh, and it's something that um, later when I got my PMP certification, you know, they always say never have a meeting with six more than six people in the room. Mm-hmm. Right? There's just too many different lines of communication, too many ideas flowing in and out. Nobody gets heard properly. People get unhappy about not being heard, and then, you know, you have this, that silent uh, detractor. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one who's always hiding in the corner, <laughs> waiting to spring the trap on you when you fail. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I actually think that that you're visualizing that person in your head right now, aren't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, names. A name. <laughs> no names. No names. Okay, oh, go okay. ahead. <laughs> Water under the bridge a long time ago. <laughs> so, um, that wasn't something that I only used in managing up. It became a tool that I had to use to manage up, down, and sideways. And certainly there were people working for me who were not feeling too good about what was going on. And, you know, keeping them uh, moving forward in the right direction was was paramount. Otherwise, there was no solution to, to, uh, to bring to the table. Right. Um, and then sideways, you know, there were people who had been through this before, my peers, who... I started tapping on the shoulder and saying, you know, how did you get through stuff like this? Did you work with this person before? And, and how did you manage them to get, you know, things going in the right direction? So, you know, realizing that it's not all on your shoulders, even though everybody's saying it's on your shoulders, is something that uh, I also learned to, to manage. I think that um, no matter what, when it comes to fear, the biggest thing is that that sense of feeling alone. And when you you recognize that there were people that could help you, people who have been through this before, that probably made a huge impact on you. And whether someone's going through a business issue or a personal issue or facing any kind of fear, understanding um, that they're not alone, that, they're, that if you seek and, and, and really think it through, that somebody out there has been through it and can help you. I, I think that's that's really powerful. For sure. Yeah. So I have two more points that I, I Yes, I sure, great. So, um, you know, the next one is, is something you learn in, 
and just speaking with people at, at a higher level. And I call it the executive response. Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone asks you a question, our first uh, motive or our first desire is to say, you know, to start explaining it. And, and you end up just babbling. You don't end up really telling them a bunch of information. And within 30 seconds, you've lost them, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if someone asks you a question, and if you can answer it yes or no, immediately state yes or no. And then you have a minute or two and no more than three bullet points to, to support your answer and give them an opportunity to move on to the next question. And if you don't know the answer, can't answer yes or no, maybe you can answer maybe, or you can say, I don't know, I'll get you that information. It goes such a long way to exuding the confidence that, okay, this person knows what they're talking about and isn't trying to BS me. I can trust this person. And you do that enough and then, yeah. you know, they, they don't smell the fear. You know what? That's so good because I really believe there's a direct impact into trust, authenticity in, in saying those words, I don't know, and then coming back and finding the answer and giving it to them so much better than just trying to BS your way through it, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and confidence, work. it's your inner confidence, but also you're building confidence in their mind in you. I love that. Go ahead. So the last one is something that uh, I, I've come across a bit of controversy. And you know, that I like is controversy. You like okay. controversy. <laughs> <laughs> and after a while, you're, you're listening to all the people yelling and the, the noise just becomes the noise, right? And it's really hard to filter out you know, what it is that you should be moving forward with. And, and so... I found that it was much easier to just be calm with myself and calm with the people who I was working with and figure out, okay, this is what we need to do. Break it down into as many little steps as as you need to and and break it down into, okay, this is how we're going to move forward. And people sometimes looked at me and said, I don't see your sense of urgency here. And I, I call it a false urgency. I mean, there's certainly a time to have a sense of urgency, but you know, it doesn't have to be the tribal beating of the drums to make a lot of noise to say, I'm doing something. Mm-hmm. And so much of what I have seen in, in my career is that something goes wrong, everybody starts beating the drums, you can't hear the signal for the noise about how to solve the problem. And they get lost and the problems don't get solved. And I've always in the future or, or the, the rest of my career said, all right, what, what is the calm response? What do I really need to do here? How do I keep everybody else calm so that I can worry about managing up and telling people this is what we're going to do? And it takes time. It takes that take a deep breath now engage, figure out what the answer is. And, um, you know, it's, it's controversial because upper management sometimes likes to hear the beating of the drums. Uh, you know what? This is so perfect for me personally today as someone who, I mean, you know me, I, I, I tend to 
uh, be quite in in tune with my and other people's emotions, right? So there there there's been some drum beating in my past for sure. However, this is something so important for me, and I'm sure our other listeners to get is that the drum is beating in your heart, and you're still taking action. It's just a distraction when there's so much going on all that I like when you phrase it all this noise going on around you that you that you can't hear that heart you can't hear you your intuition what you know to be the right next steps if you give in to all of that chaos right right yeah I really like that that's good thank you so I mean that's Kind of so so you guys, up. you guys, you got it. You made it through. You you did the right things. You you appeased them, and you were able to find success in that. And you used the lessons moving forward, right? Right. Awesome. That's that's fantastic. Now, my question for you is, um, I can definitely see how these lessons definitely helped you with your success and your the rest of your career. Can you translate any of them into things that helped you personally or maybe advice that you gave your daughters or, or you know, it, how does it relate in other areas of life? I, I use it, I constantly use it, especially the acting calmly and you know, treating sense of urgency as, as I think it, it really needs to be treated. Um, I definitely have imparted that to my, my children, my two girls, um, who are out in the, uh, work world today and, and certainly experience that. Um, I impart that to the students that I, I work with in, in STEM, both in, in high school and, and college. And, you know, the executive answer is something that I, I use all the time. I mean, tell them about it all the time. And it's a, it's a great interviewing tool for them. Mm. I, I tell them, you know, somebody asks you a question, this is how you answer it. Don't, don't go on for, you know, 10 minutes babbling about things and, <laughs> because you'll have lost. They are gone. They're off thinking about what's for lunch. That's so true. And I know that you do a lot of giving back that way and, and helping the students and, and guiding and mentoring. And I think that's fantastic. And I'm sure that the messages that you're, we're talking about here um, have made a ripple effect in, in other companies and in other families and communities. And I think that's really fantastic, Michael. I, I, I totally appreciate the time that Thank you're giving you. us here today. So if you had to say that there is one thing. Now imagine there's just one listener out there, right? And and you want to give that one piece of advice that that specific listener could use right away that would really impact them. What do you think it would be? Hmm. <laughs> I guess I should have told you that one ahead of time, shouldn't I? I'm sorry. Um, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe a little off topic, but um, this is something that I get a, a often from the students I'm working with is, you know, they're always asking, you know, what, what should I do to, to get this job? How can I, how can I really nail it? And the one thing that I tell them all the time is value proposition. And without the value proposition, they'll get passed, you'll get passed over. 
And when you show that you have what it takes to bring enough value to the table and it exceeds their expectations, you'll be hired. Wow. I think it all ties back together because I, I agree with you completely, whether you're selling yourself, or you're selling a service or a product and business. Um, but understanding your value is something that I think is is difficult for people because of some of the fears that they've faced in their lives is recognizing the value that they have. Maybe they've listened to other people who weren't on board with their ideas or, you know, different what they may perceive as failures in their life that could be lessons, right? That I think that in general, that's something that people struggle with um, is, is finding their value, their worth, and then being able to, to come back to that place when they're experiencing the next fear and the next fear, because that's life, right? It's going to come up over and over again. And we just use the tools that we learn each time so that it gets a little bit easier, mm-hmm. a little bit smoother. Um, I think that's an excellent takeaway. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with everybody? Uh, actually, just a little bit more about value. It's, yeah. You talked about where where it's been used before. I mean, the, the term value proposition is a, it's a business term when trying to sell a product. Right. And... The, the actual word value is it's very interesting in itself because you're talking about not only what you have to bring, but it's an understanding of what the customer wants, mm-hmm. right? Value. So when you bring more of what the customer wants, you bring value. That's right. And if you don't have those one-on-one conversations that we started talking about about 20 minutes ago, you're not going to really know. You're just going to be guessing. Uh, And so, yeah, sometimes you guess right. That's great. But the the chance of success and getting the results that that you both want is much greater if you communicate effectively and you ask the right questions and then you really listen to the answers. Right. Very cool. I like that. Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today, as it always is. And I I really do appreciate your time um, and your wisdom. Thank you so much. My pleasure. (laughs) Have a great day. And you. Thank you.